everyone. Welcome to this edition of the FUMC Stanley Small Group Podcast. Um, this is our first session uh, taught by Mark Etchison. Um, we had a little confusion over the title. Uh, I think what we landed on is Knowing Jesus, uh, Pursuit of Life, uh, Pursuit of Love, maybe. Uh, I'll put some stuff in the show notes there. Um, intro music and outro music, courtesy of AHF. Have a little fun with that. Um, that's about it. Uh, we got started at a weird place here, so I think the first question Mark is asking is, um, if, if you're witnessing to someone, what do you say? So that's the context for that. And that's about it, so let's get going. Chance to be part of God's light. That's the way we all do Oh, yeah. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Peace and hope. Peace and hope. The ability to breathe. Y'all, have y'all seen Lord of the Rings? Yeah. You know, the scene where they cast, he casts Sauron out of the king, and he says, breathe the free air. I think about that sometimes. Anybody else? I think for me it would be overwhelming because I feel like I couldn't even answer that question when you asked how you would explain that to somebody because it's different for everybody and it's kind of overwhelming when you think about who you were and who you've become. Yeah, it's kind of silly for us to think that we can really define it, isn't it? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I no, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, I'm still going to try to because I have to teach yeah. something. I mean, <laughs> we're done. Let's go home. <laughs> if you reveal too much, I'll, they'll, you'll realize y'all don't really need me and I'll be delivering mail full time again. <laughs> All right. Um, so, throw out a, a definition or two for you um, eternal no, not eternal life. salvation is and it, I got this from Dallas Willard uh, but he said that salvation is participation in the life of God salvation is participating in the life of God now funny thing is I, I, I saw there was a guy who did a video that was against Dallas Willard and he was taking apart some of the things that he said and this guy said, um, I don't think he realized what he said, because he said, um, well, Dallas, if salvation is participating in the life of God, and maybe you should listen to Paul, because Paul calls salvation reconciliation. And he was referring to 1 Corinthians 5. But isn't that what reconciliation is? <laughs> I mean, if you and I are estranged for some reason, and we're reconciled, I mean, just imagine, like, if you had a friend, because what he's thinking is, he's thinking reconciliation as in you get to go to heaven when you die. But that's not what reconciliation is. If Robert and I are friends, if, if we had plans to one day retire together and move to Florida or something like that, and then we had this big falling out as we were playing basketball, and I dunked on Robert and it hurt his feelings or something like that, and so we, we didn't speak to each other for a long time, and we just quit talking. Then we were, you know... We were unreconciled, I guess. Um, and then one day, 
I called up Robert and said, you know, really, man, I shouldn't have posterized you in front of all the guys like that. I, I apologize. Now, if I gave a sincere apology and then we were reconciled, well, of course, when we weren't speaking to each other, our vacation, our retirement plans were canceled, right? But when I called him up and, and reconciled with him, it wasn't just like, he wasn't just like, yep, vacation's back on. See you when we retire and hang up. That's not reconciliation, is it? No, it would be like we would start hanging out again, start playing basketball together again. We would participate in each other's life. So reconciliation is, being reconciled to God means participating in His life. That's very, very important. Everything that we talk about in this study, is that's, that's what it's about. It's about participating in the life of God. You were once alienated from the life of God, Paul says in Ephesians 5, due to the hardness of heart, due to your ignorance that comes from your hardness of heart. Ignorance is just you just you didn't know that God was there to be interacted with in the first place, or you didn't know you didn't know what kind of God he was. And so what Jesus does for us is Jesus actually shows us this God who's willing to reach out to us and get us all the way to him. Because he was right there all along. So our definition for uh, for eternal life, it, it actually comes from the Bible. It's John 17, 3. And it's the only place I know of in the Bible where it defines eternal life. Because, see, generally that salvation, eternal life, they, they end up in that retirement bucket. You know, like salvation is I get to go to heaven when I die. Eternal life is life that lasts a really, really long time, Right? But, you know, I've lived in some circumstances that I wouldn't call life, and I certainly wouldn't want to do them for a really, really long time. You know, some people's idea of heaven is that it'll be an everlasting church service. That, to me, is not eternal life. <laughs> you can edit that out later if you need to. Um, but John's definition in John 17, 3, or actually Jesus' definition, because he's praying, and he says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So eternal life is knowledge of God. It's knowledge of Jesus. And that's not head knowledge. The Bible rarely uses knowledge in the sense of head knowledge. One time uh, Jesus was talking about the end of time, you know, the end of people's lives who didn't know him and he says depart from me you workers of iniquity what was the next words I never knew you now, this is Jesus so <laughs> Jesus knows everybody right he's the light that enlightens every man I mean our heavenly father has a number of hairs on our head number it's easier for some of us than others but, but he can read our DNA. He knows the number of cells in our body. How can he say at the end of time, I never knew you, unless no means something more than just know about? Right? So no, for God to be able to say, I never knew you, he's saying the same thing. I never had an interactive life with you. It's not that he didn't want to. I believe that God walks with every person on the face of the earth. But only so many walk with him. Relationships are two-way street, Right? And so salvation is being brought back into that relationship where I can live interactively with God. Eternal life is that interactive life with God. Eternal life is knowing. It's um, uh, 
connected to in a vital way, uh, just like you know anybody. You know, in, in here, we know about each other a little bit. We did our little icebreaker thing, right? And some of you know each other well. Some of you are close friends because you've done a lot of life together. Some of us don't know each other that well. I'm hoping we get to know each other. But knowing is a matter of just doing life with people, right? You know, like we talked about last week, when you hadn't talked to a friend in a long time, what's the first thing you ask them? How's it been going? Because you want to interact with their life. You want to, you want to hear about their life. You want to share their life. So that's what we were created for. And that's what we were meant for. Um, so when some people hear that, that, that phrase in John 3, that they know you the one true God, they, they think of it as like faith, uh, believing that Jesus is the Son of God or something like that, <clears throat> having the answers right, or, or faith at, at, in the sense of knowing, uh, faith in the sense of trusting God for your salvation. And like if, if you were asked the questions, uh, who is Jesus? Jesus is God's Son. Um, you got the answer right. You didn't choose Muhammad. You didn't choose Buddha. You chose the right God. Uh, but it's actually deeper than that. Faith comes from knowledge. Faith comes from interactive relationship. That's where, that's where you come to really trust something, isn't it? See, in the church, often we've defined faith as what I'm supposed to believe whether I really believe it or not. A good illustration of this is you guys believe the Bible's true, Right? So you believe that Romans 8.28 is true, right? All things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. So if that's 100% true, is there ever anything really to worry about? How many of you worried about something this past week? Sure. Yes. Okay. So faith is trusting something enough to act as if it's true. You know you have faith, you know you have a deep faith in something when it doesn't occur to you to mistrust it. When it doesn't even cross your mind to mistrust it. So that's important. That faith only comes from experience. And it has to be a good experience. You know, if I'm interacting with somebody that's not trustworthy, I'm never going to trust them because they will prove to me over and over again they can't be trusted. Okay, so Jesus come, came to reveal this God that he had perfect faith in. Jesus was always relaxed. Jesus was always okay no matter what was going on, right? Even when he was struggling in the garden and he was praying, you know, let this cup pass from me, he still ends up, not my will but yours. And when he goes all the way to the cross... And he's there and he, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sin, darkness, exile, everything had been laid on him so deeply that he could no longer see the Father. But what were his next words? Into your hands I commit my spirit. So his faith, faith is opposed to sight. When you, when you have faith in something, you trust it whether you can see it or not. But it's always based. It's never blind faith. It's always based on some experience of what you're trusting. Jesus had been interacting with the Father for all eternity. And he knew despite all practical appearances, with everything coming down on him, he knew. He just knew 
he was okay. He knew that the Father's hands, even though for all practical purposes, for all Jesus could see, the Father had turned his back on him. But for what he knew of the Father, he knew better. And so he still trusted him and he still placed him in his hands. Now see, that's the secret to going through life with no worries. And Jesus tells us that. Don't worry about your life. Sure, Jesus. It's easy for you to say you're the Son of God. And he's like, that's exactly right. And so are you. That's the point. Jesus brought us salvation. He brought us this interaction with God, this interactive relationship with God by showing us that we are children of God too. The Bible says he did it that he might be the firstborn among many brethren or sister, however you would say (laughs) that. That word brethren in the Bible means brothers and sisters. It, it, It covers everybody. So that's the point. You know, when he's walking on the water one time, you know, he'd come out across the water and uh, everybody's freaking out. And he says, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come out there. Which we criticize Peter for, for sinking, but daggum, that's pretty bold. <laughs> right? So he gets out there and he takes a few steps. Of course, he sees the waves. He starts to sink. cries out, Jesus, help me. Jesus picks him up. They get in the boat and the storm calms immediately. And the, of course, Jesus says... Why did you doubt? I can think of a few reasons, right? Right after that, it says, they marveled and worshipped him, saying, surely this is the Son of God, which is great. So you would say they had faith, right? But Jesus had just scolded them. Why did he scold them? Because they had faith that Jesus could be the Son of God, but they missed that they were as well. See, Peter walked on the water. I mean, Jesus walked on the water because he was the Son of God. Well, that's the same reason Peter did. And Jesus, over and over and over, he's trying to pound it into our heads. He's doing it with the disciples, and he's doing it with us now, trying to pound it in our heads that we have been offered that same interaction with the Father that he did. No, no qualifications. The qualifications were met on the cross. I right now can step into an interactive life with God and God will give me as much as I can stand right now. Interaction with God. The only prerequisite is I have to seek it. It has to be what I want. It has to be what matters to me. See, because here's the deal. It's not right in your face. Your finances, they're right in your face, aren't they? They just keep coming up over and over. And your work, it's right in your face. And your children, they are, good gracious, they're right in your face. And the whole world is right in your face all the time. And God gently calls from the corner. It's not that God's saying, I'm not going to come if you don't really seek me. It's just that you will miss Him if you're focused on everything else. So we have to actually want this interactive life with God. we got to seek it. Jesus came to reveal it to us. He came to reveal to us that we are the children of God. You see, God could reveal himself in all kinds of ways without Jesus the Son. Did you know that? Romans 1 says that uh, his divine power and eternal attributes are revealed in creation. 
He could have come as judge. He could have come blazing on a, on a cloud of glory and shown his majesty. He could have shown it to the whole world. But there's only one way he can reveal himself as our father. And that's through a son. I think about it. Like me, you can know me as a person. You can know me as a preacher. You can know me as a mailman. You can know me in all these ways. But the only way you can ever know me as a father is either to be my child, and none of you are, or watch me interact with my children, right? You can't say Mark's a good father unless you've seen me interact with my children. Or you can't say Mark's a bad father either. You can only know me as a father through my children, right? The only way God could reveal himself to as our father was through his son. And now he wants to reveal himself to the world through you. It's his son. It's his daughter. That's what we're called to. You get the benefit of being his son. The world gets the benefit of seeing the father interact with you. It's a win-win. That's salvation. That's eternal life. That's what we're called to. Jesus is light. I love how you, you said that. Say, say the sentence again that you, you said. If you be remember. a part of Jesus' life. So I grew up around a lot of... Um, Jewish people, right? Mm -hmm. And to them, they would, you know, mock us for our belief in heaven, right? Mm -hmm. So, to them, heaven is just God is light, mm -hmm. and when you die, you become part of the light, mm -hmm. and that's against the dark. So that's where you want to be. You know, it's not necessarily you're going to sit on clouds and play the harp, right? Necessarily, or get to do your favorite thing forever. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and it is. It is a part of being Jesus's light, but a part of His light is an interactive, cooperative relationship with God. That's what we were made for. If you go all the way back to Genesis, we were created, uh, you know, uh, I, I told you all the story about my kids wanting to help me drag the field, right? So you, in, in, God created this in, incredibly beautiful creation. Every day he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. And they probably looked around at each other and said, do we really want to do this? <laughs> but he wanted more sons and daughters. And so he created us, and the way we were to find connection with him is this, this interactive life of working, caring for the world with him. So that's the first thing we got was a job, right? And he wanted to do it with us. And a part of the curse was, when we said, no, no, we'll be our own God, a part of the curse was, by the sweat of your brow will you bring forth fruit. The sweat of your brow represents your own energy. Now you're working on your own, Okay. So when Jesus came as the second Adam, remember Adam was called the son of God. If you read the genealogies, it says when it comes back from Jesus back, all the way back to Adam, it says, you know, Jesus, the son of Joseph, the son of da-da-da-da-da. It goes, oh yeah. And then he goes to Adam, the son of God, right? Adam was that original son of God. Jesus is the new Adam, the second Adam, the new son of God. Then he comes in to reveal exactly who we're supposed to be in the Father. And so remember, we're, we're to care for creation. A lot of creation's gotten out of whack. So when he healed somebody, when he healed their body, their body was a part of creation. Disease was never supposed to be a part of creation. And so for him to speak to a body and that body to respond, you know, this, the story I just did with the little kids was where Peter's mother-in-law was sick and she had a fever and they told Jesus about it. He goes in and he says, uh, fever leave. And the fever left. 
That makes sense. If you think about Genesis, you know, working in the power of God. And he says later on in John 14, he says, I don't do anything on my own, but I speak and my Father works. So that's partnership. That's connection with God. And he knows the Father by living interactively with him. I speak and my Father works. And so when he comes across a fig tree one time, and the fig tree has leaves on it, but it doesn't have fruit. You know, he goes up because it has leaves and there's no fruit on it. And he says, may no one ever eat it from you again. I love this story because it says, and the disciples heard it. Now, could you imagine if you invited something to a small group, somebody to a small group, and you saw me outside and you were like, come over here and meet one of our pastors. And this is the guy that leads the group, and you're so excited, and you walk over there and I'm talking to a tree. He's really spiritual. No, you would probably be like, let's go inside, he'll be in in a minute. And you would hope that I took my medicine before I got in. And we were going to be all right. Um, so Jesus did weird stuff like that. But the next day they come by. You know, when it says they heard it, I bet they were going, oh, nobody else heard that. Because Jesus was always running people off. And so they come by the next day and the fig tree's withered to the ground. Like, Jesus, look! That fig tree you spoke to! You know, so, from what I understand, the fig tree, if it had leaves on it, was supposed to have fruit. Even though it was out of season, it was, it was, there was something wrong. Either, either it shouldn't have had leaves or it should have had fruit. So you and I, to get rid of a bad tree, what would we do? Chop it down. down, dig it up. We'd be sweating when we got through too, wouldn't we? By the sweat of your brow. Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus could speak. His father would work and the tree was gone. Now, um, I forgot to find out exactly where that scripture was before we came. I can quote most of it to you, but I don't want to mess it up. I know it's in Mark. Jeff, are you looking that up on your phone? If you could find it before too long. He was checking he was Facebook. Checking Facebook. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was, we were live streaming. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you the story. If anybody, if I, oh, I found it. It's in Mark 11. Okay, so on the, uh, down in verse 20, as they, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered to them, Have faith in God. Now, interesting, the translators don't translate this exactly how it is in the Greek. In the Greek, it actually, it actually says, Have the faith of God. Wouldn't it be nice to have God's faith? Sure. What kind of faith does God have? God knows that when He speaks, things are going to happen. He wasn't going... You know, let there be light. Please work. Please work. Please work. Right? He just spoke and let it go. Okay, have the faith of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. What do y'all think of that verse? Now, let's just stop there a second. How does that make you feel? My faith is terrible because when I say things, they do not happen. <laughs> say to the I mean, Spencer Mountains right there. Like, go jump in Lake Norman. 
Spencer Mountain. Of course, there might be some people living on the lake that wouldn't be happy with that. Um, and Between here and there, even. <laughs> yeah, but on <laughs> yeah. its way, it might be a mess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's Jesus getting at here? Well, let's, let's go a little further. And does not doubt in his heart. Okay, so, you know, I've already talked about worry. Worry is just a form of doubt. Worry is doubting that your circumstances are going to turn out for your good. Nobody worries about what's going to work for their good. Right? You only worry because you think maybe this isn't going to be good. That's where worry comes from. So worry is just a form of doubt. Anxiety is a form of doubt. Uh, Seth Godin defines anxiety as experiencing failure before it happens. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it. Um, so, uh, one of my favorite illustrations, you know, when you, when you came in the room, nobody, you don't see the oxygen in the room, right? But we would, if there was no oxygen in the room, with the amount of time we'd been in here, we'd all be dead. But none of you were worried about that, right? I mean, I didn't see Kirk look at Kristen as they went in and said, babe, is there oxygen? <laughs> if he'd have done that and we heard it, we'd be calling somebody to come get him. Because it's crazy not to trust that. But you don't, you didn't see it. Right? You just, you've lived with it so much, it doesn't even occur to you to doubt it. That's faith. That's the faith he's talking about. When you experience something to such a degree that it doesn't occur to you to doubt it. When Jesus started walking on the water, he wasn't going with every step, I hope this works. It didn't occur to him that he was going to sink. When he spoke, peace be still to the storm, it didn't occur to him. When he, when you stop a funeral procession with a dead guy in it, you don't have any doubts. I mean, just try it tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it's... It's polite to pull over on the side of the road as they come by. It's not so much to get out of your car and stop, you know, the car. If you raise them, though, I think. Yeah, if you raise them, they'll forgive you. But you better know that when you say something, something's going to happen, right? But that's faith. You stop a funeral procession when you know that when you speak, it doesn't even occur to you. He wasn't going, I don't know about this. What if this don't work? Well, that's, that's what Jesus is getting at. That's what he's saying. So... What do we do? Because I ain't there. Now, if somebody came in the room right now, I'd do the Pentecostal thing and lay hands on them and pray for them. But I'm not going to grab them by their hands and say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Because if they fall, it's on me. <laughs> not God. It's on me. I don't have that kind of faith. So what do we do? So Jesus goes a little further. Therefore, I tell you, tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Okay, so he wasn't talking about praying there. He's talking about saying. He didn't say, if you pray that the mountain will move, then it'll happen. So there's kind of a progression here. You don't start with saying, unless it's some small things. Maybe that you can try in your house, like speaking to your headache or your kid's headache or something like that. Um, but you should pray, and Jesus prayed. See, it's funny. If you look in, like, if you look in the book of Acts, Jesus... And when you watch, how many people did Jesus pray for? Can y'all think of anybody that Jesus prayed for? Can you tell me one instance where Jesus prayed for somebody? 
He did say, he did tell Peter, I will pray for you. What's that? He prayed, but he had to think about specific. He spoke. Yeah, yeah. He didn't pray for people. He just, like, even one time the disciples brought him somebody that was demon possessed and they couldn't be set free. Yes. He prayed for Peter. He told Peter that he prayed for him. Yes. He did. That's exactly right. And there were instances. Um, and he told Peter, he said, I have prayed for you. But that was a situation where, and what he was praying for for Peter and what he was praying for for us, with, for us wasn't something that could be solved by fixing. Like Peter was going to fall. Jesus could have fixed Peter, but it wouldn't have done Peter any good to fix him. <laughs> he could have given him like memory loss or locked jaw or something before he denied him and kept him from denying him. But character is not formed by instant fixes. Other things like paralysis and things like that are. But he didn't pray for people. And when the man had brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples, the disciples had had some success with casting out demons. But they couldn't cast this one out. And they brought him to Jesus, and Jesus cast him out. And then he looks at the disciples and said, Oh, this one comes out only by prayer. But Jesus didn't pray for him. So what's going on? You say, Well, Jesus is the Son of God. That doesn't fly. By the way, that will never be a correct answer in this class. <laughs> Because we're all children of God. That's the point. But Jesus had already prayed. Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer. And it's through prayer that our faith grows by experience. It's when I pray believing. Maybe not, I'm not like speaking of mountains believing. But I'm believing. I'm believing there's a point to my praying. Or I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't waste my time if I didn't believe at least a little bit. I might have this much faith and this much doubt, but I've got this much faith. And I'm going to act on that faith because I've got a little bit of light. Because Jesus forgave me. Uh, Jesus died for me. If he did that, like Paul said, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So there's something to it. And Jesus talks about prayer over and over and over again. So there's something to prayer that gives me enough faith to just try it. And it's in the trying it that I get the experience to learn that God really is with me. That's where it comes from. There's a scripture for praying in Colossians 4. Uh, Colossians 4 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So to continue steadfastly means you're probably going to have to stay with it. It's not the drink machine where you put in the correct change and press the right button you get what you want. If you put the dollar in and you press sundrop and you get diet sundrop, you can try it one more time, but don't continue steadfastly with it. Because that's not the way that machine's supposed to work. But prayer doesn't work like that. But it's often treated like that. If you say the right words, if I say, if thy will be done, and in Jesus' name, and I really just believe, which really means psyching yourself up, hyping yourself up, right? Then I get what I want. But prayer is relational. God has called us to partner with Him in this world, and that means that He is going to submit to us, in a lot of cases, to what we want. That's why there's a such thing as prayer. That's why God doesn't just do everything. He wants to know what you want, and what you want matters. But we are to pray in the name of Jesus. And to pray in His name means to pray on His behalf. 
pray in His place. It means to pray on His agenda. When you do something in somebody's name, you're acting for them. You're acting in their place. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray on His agenda. And then you're assured of His resources. And that's something that we learn to do. Let me tell you how to start. You just start right where you are. You just pray. Start praying. And that's going to be our exercise this week. Uh, but but first, I want to. I, I got to say a couple more things before we get to it. Okay. So Colossians three seventeen says, "Whatever you do, in word or deed, that covers everything, right? Do it all." In the name of your Lord Jesus. Now, we were just talking about praying in Jesus' name, but Paul's talking about living in Jesus' name, acting in Jesus' name. So everything that I do, every word that I say, every time I look in somebody's eyes, every time I touch somebody, everything that I do can be done in the name of Jesus. And that's partnership. That's where we learn to know the interactive God with us. I can learn to experience God's hand with me when I touch people, when I speak words, when I look in people's eyes, if I'm intentional about it and if I look for it. This is what it means to seek the kingdom of heaven. It means to look. When you, when you lose your keys and you seek for them, what do you do if you've got to be out the door in 10 minutes? Hit the button on the tile. Hit the button on the tile. Well, if, if you've got those, those, yes. But if you've got my keys that are very low tech and you lose them, what do you do? You start looking every. First, you look at all the normal places, right? But after two minutes, you're in the trash can, you're looking in the refrigerator, you're looking wherever, right? Anywhere the keys might be, you look for them. That's what it means to seek the kingdom. Uh, Jeremiah 29 says, You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Get that image of the keys in your mind when you think about seeking with all your heart. Anywhere God might be, that's where I'm looking for them. So I'm looking for them in somebody else's eyes. There's, a, there's an old prayer from Northumbria community that I pray sometimes. It says, Be in the heart of each to whom I speak, in the mouth of each who speaks unto me. This day me within and without me. Lowly and meek yet all powerful Jesus. So everywhere. Everywhere Jesus might be, I'm looking. So I'm, I'm praying. I'm expecting God to move with me when I touch people. I'm expecting God to move with me when I speak to people. I might not do this very often, but I start. And I try to remember it. And maybe I set a reminder on my phone. And so after that reminder goes off, I man, I didn't do that at all the last hour. But, but now I'm going to do it. I'm going to learn to do everything that I can in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's what Paul calls praying without ceasing. You know, First uh, Thessalonians 5 and 17, that's our other scripture. Paul says, pray without ceasing. What does that mean? I mean, obviously we don't go around with our hands folded or eyes closed. But it means to make everything get you do a prayer. Just asking God to move with you. So here's my definition of prayer. And honest confession, I stole this from Dallas Willard as well. <laughs> Prayer is talking to God about what He and I are doing together. That's what prayer is. 
Because everything I'm doing, God wants to do with me. That's what it means to do everything in the name of Jesus. So to pray in the name of Jesus just flows naturally with that. It is talking to God about what He and I are doing together. That's prayer. So we learn, we are seeking to learn to live in connection with God. And that's how you know Him. When, you're, when you pray and you're attentive and you see His movements, you'll learn to hear His voice. You'll learn to sense His presence. You'll learn to trust His provision. You'll learn to see His hand with you in everything that you do. You got to start somewhere, though. Okay, so that's our there, that's our uh, that's our work for this week. Um, so, just a, another bit of uh, just clarification for what we're going to do here in the class. Uh, there's two parts to all change. Anytime you want to change, whether it be learn a foreign language or uh, have a better jump shot or anything that you want to do better, um, there's two ways that it works. You have to change your thoughts. And you change your habits. Anything that you want to learn, you change your thoughts, you change your habits, right? Um, so it, when a teacher is at school, they teach to help you with the thoughts. Then they give you homework to help you with the habits, to get it into your body. That's how you learn anything. Uh, it's not enough. To, you're not going to learn Spanish just by reading a book. Uh, you need to speak it. And it's even best to immerse yourself in a bunch of Spanish-speaking people because it will change your habits. The people that you're around affect your habits, and that's how, that's how you really become fluent at a language. I hear. I, the only language I'm fluent with is Gaston County English. <laughs> so that's all I've got. Um, but, uh, but the people that have gotten fluent in other languages uh, did so uh, by immersing their set themselves. I'm, I'm sure Ellie got better at speaking once she was around the people. That were, she got good at hearing. They weren't allowed to release Oh, interact a lot with actual Russians. For really, fear of really, wow. Being wrapped up with like the student age people because mm. they were getting arrested and protesting and stuff. So they actually oh. had to stay away from young people their age. That were wow, Russian. wow. Okay, well, not that the greatest illustration, <laughs> but generally that's how it works. Um, okay, so so what I'm going to do with each of our sections. I'm going to give you a scripture. You're welcome to find your own, but I'm going to make a suggestion of a scripture for you to be working on. Try to memorize it. It's, it's, it's okay if you don't get it all memorized. At least spend once a day reading it. Okay, so our scripture for this one is Psalm 16. I think it's like 11 verses. And I'm just going to read it to you real quick. I know we're about out of time. Is Psalm in the Old Testament or New Testament? There it is. All right. So this is Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Now, see if you can catch the uh, partnership in here. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The stars of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or their names take on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. 
I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Right hand is the hand of action. It means God is acting with me. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. So God is at my right hand, and I'm at his right hand. And we are at this together. That's what Jesus lived in front of us. That's what he calls us to. So that's your scripture. If you pick something else, it's just fine. Okay, so uh, we have an activity now. All right, it'll be short. Okay, how many of you like to draw? We're not going to draw, so it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, just wondered if anybody liked to. Uh, okay, I'm going to let you draw draw a line down the middle, from top to bottom, in the middle. So cut it in half. You've already done it. I didn't say the right. Yeah, we, we don't. You may not have a great place. Okay, on the left side, I want you to write others. At the top, bottom, middle. Top, at the top. Yeah. Yeah, I should probably do it so y'all can see. You probably can't read it, but you got an idea of what we're doing, right? Don't make fun of me. Okay, on the right side, I want you to write me. And then you can draw a line separating them like so. It doesn't have to be pretty. Nobody's going to see this but you. Okay, flip. That was all right. Flip over on the back. And I want you to write one, two, and three, but give them enough space to... It doesn't matter how, you know, they don't have to be right on top of each other. That's all you're going to put on the other side. It's one, two, and three. You're going to write something beside those. But like you're numbering something, and I'll tell you what we're going to put there. Amen. Okay, so I, I'm not, I want you to do this within 24 hours if you can. We're not going to do it tonight, so you can go ahead. And, well, no, leave it on because I need to explain it. Sorry. Um, uh, but what I want you to do on the side that says others... I want you to list out all the things, at least till you run out of page, that you're concerned about, that you're most concerned about, that really matter to you about other people. Okay? So don't try to be noble here. Okay? Don't put things that you're supposed to care about that you don't really care about. <laughs> Seriously, because our faith will grow. Yes. Is that what? World peace, yeah, world yeah. Peace. World peace. Are you the you're the pageant beauty queen? Um, just wondering what he was saying. Um, but put the things that really matter to you and, and list those out. Okay. On the right side, and this is the this is the one you're going to have the biggest trouble with. I want you to put things for you that you want here that matter to you. Right. So what's the left side? The left side is others. The right side is me. 
So the others would matter to others? Yeah, what other people okay. need. Like, for instance, okay, um, like uh, my mom is on my other side. Yeah, I got you. I understand. All right? Uh, and so, but me, okay, here's the deal, guys. This is so important. It's, what's the golden rule? Did you know there's a word at the start of that that we often miss? In the, in the actual scripture? It says, therefore, or in some relations it says, so, do unto others what you would have to do unto you, or whatever is others, whatever you want others to do. It says so, or it says therefore. That means it's not a complete thought, right? You don't start sentences with so or therefore. That refers back to something. Do you know what Paul and what Jesus says right before the golden rule? Does anybody know what the what the therefore refers back to? Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For whoever asks receives, whoever seeks find, and whoever knocks the door will be open. And just in case we were tempted to make that all spiritual, he says, "What? Which of you that has a child and asks for a fish would give him a serpent, or asks for a piece of bread would give him a stone? If you know how to give good gifts to your children." Now remember, the Son wants to reveal what? The Father? How much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to you? So you start with what matters to you because that's what matters to your Father. Things like fish and bread. (laughs) Start where you are. Don't try to be noble here. Alright? Put the things that really matter to you. The things in your heart that you really want to see happen. It could be good stuff. I'm not saying don't be noble. I mean, if you really want something spiritual, if you really want a closer walk with Jesus, put that. But don't leave out the other stuff. All right. And once you make the two list, then I want you to go on your side in your one, two, and three. Uh, I want you to write. I want you to choose something from these lists. Here's the deal: you have to pick at least one from each list. So it'll either be two others and one me. Or two me and one others. I want you to pick the ones that matter the most to you. If it's two me's, that's okay. Because the only re- way you're ever going to be able to love people is to learn how much God has taken care of you. If you don't know who you are as His child, you will never be able to love people. Never be able to love people. It's not noble to say, I don't pray for myself. It's not spiritual to say that. Because that's what Jesus told us to pray for. And you will never be able to really love people unless you know that God's got your back and God cares for you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, Peter said. Humility is like, I don't, I'm not all that great, God. I want this. Can you help me with this? It doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you ask for, but that's the only way you'll ever learn to pray in his name is to pray for what really matters to you. Because remember, praying in his name is about you being at his right hand and him being at your right hand. It's about learning that what you want matters. And it's about learning that He is ready and willing to bless you in everything that you do. All right, so I'm going to close with this prayer. Thank you, Gabe. Not this prayer, but the Scripture in John 15. No, it's in John 14, sorry. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, verse 12, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I go and I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do. Listen, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God is glorified through your prayers being answered. God is glorified as Father to the whole world through your prayers being answered. That's how we learn to live in partnership with God, in connection with God. So don't be afraid to do this. Let's do it. We'll talk about it next week in groups. Um, we won't just talk about specifically your prayers. There will be other things that we're talking about. This list can be completely private. You never have to share it with anybody. You can write it up and put it somewhere safe, and you're welcome to share it with others. But you never have to share it with anybody because I want you to be free enough to really put what's in your heart. Okay? Uh, so thank you all so much. I'll close this out in prayer. Uh, if anybody's got any questions or any comments or anything you want to say afterwards, do so. I'm here. Father, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you that we have this incredible privilege that you've given us of prayer. Where we don't have to live life on our own. But where what... What we desire and what matters to us matters to you, like any good father. That even the seemingly most insignificant things matter to you. And I pray through this exercise and through this scripture, and through our seeking to live this out day by day, that you'll reveal yourself to us as our Father, you who are light and in whom there's no darkness. Thank you. Make this incredibly real to us so that we can go to sleep on boats that are tossed by the storms so that we can rest knowing that no matter what's going on, that we're in your hands. And so that in that knowledge, we'll be able to love everybody around us. We ask it in your name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Any questions, comments, concerns? Uh, here, who wants to read the Zipper Cooter and Blue Apron podcast? <laughs> that would be great. Who? Yeah, we need somebody to do that. Every podcast you listen to has a Zipper Cooter and Blue Apron. Blue Apron. <laughs> And now there's a lot of the, the uh, what's the uh, cloud accounting software? Fresh book. Fresh books. Yeah. Well, so what's the title right now? We call it, Mark? Is that, that, oh. Partnership? Um, Partnership? Mm, no, it's not Next week. week's Italian night, so I'll pass it around. <laughs> what you want? All right, for All right, there we go. We're all wrapped up. Um, first, uh, first session. Um, podcast is great, but if you can join us uh, on Common Ground at uh, six uh, six o'clock on Sunday nights, that'd be great as well. Um, don't forget to do your homework, as Mark uh, described it, um, the, the me and the others, and uh, we'll see you next time.